glad to be able to bring the word to you all this morning. And I've really been praying all week and wrestling with the scriptures um, and just really asking God what it is that he wants to communicate to me and to us this morning. And so as you know, we're in a series called Back to Normal? So there's been a lot of talk um, about getting back to normal. And obviously after this crazy year that we've had, getting back to normal seems like a really wonderful and great sentiment. But I wanna challenge us this morning to think about the ways that God might be calling us beyond normal, ways that God might have taught us about the church and what the church could be throughout this past year that might make us a bit uncomfortable, that might be beyond what we're used to. Because if you read scripture, you'll know that from the very beginning, church was never normal. Um, so as we begin, I invite you to please close your eyes and pray with me as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Jesus, we thank you that no matter what is happening in the world, God, that you are powerful and that your kingdom is never in danger. Would you open our ears and the eyes of our heart, God, to hear what you have for us this morning? Would you pour out your kingdom power on us and empower us to do the very things that you did? We pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So if you have a Bible on your phone um, or with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, and then we're going to read quite a bit of text, but it's super interesting, so get ready, um, through Matthew 10, verse 14. And if you work better by closing your eyes, feel free to close your eyes and imagine the scene, and if you're more of a visual learner, feel free um, to read it, and then it, it, it's going to pop up in a minute um, on the screen. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a lot of text, um, but we have so much to learn this morning, and we're not going to be able to cover all of the details. But the question I want us to hone in and focus in on is what can we as the 21st century church learn from Jesus's very specific instructions to his disciples in the first century? You can see on the screen that together we're going to remember that number one, we are a sent people called to go out. And number two, we are a motley crew reconciled together only by the power of Jesus. And number three, we are not reliant on ourselves and our own competencies, but on an outside power coming down from heaven. So it's always good to have some context. So right before our specific text in Matthew, there's story after story of Jesus' healing power. He heals a dead girl, a sick woman, two blind men, and a mute man. The mute are now speaking about Jesus, and the blind are evangelists to Jesus' healing power. And the Pharisees and the scribes are getting upset. Verses 35 through 36 summarize Jesus' healing ministry and give us a glimpse into why he's doing this. What is his motivation? So the text says that Jesus' heart was moved with compassion for the harassed and helpless sheep of Israel. The phrase moved with compassion actually comes from a verb form of the Greek word for bowels, which is kind of weird. So essentially it means to be moved in one's bowels, in one's gut, but in modern translations, of course, it is translated to moved with compassion. This word is only used in the gospels to describe the emotional life of Jesus and how he is gut-wrenchingly moved by the suffering of his sheep. Have you experienced glimpses of Jesus's gut-wrenching compassion for yourself or for the harassed, sick, and helpless sheep that we've been learning about and experiencing this past year? If so, you are mirroring the heart of Jesus. We also see in the text that Jesus does not stay in one place, but we see him moving and going out to where people are. Church um, historians in the early church, they thought it was amazing that Jesus not only went to cities, but went to small villages and towns. They were so impressed that Jesus would be that humble to go out to lost sheep who are just simple peasant farmers. This text also shows us that God came to restore spirits and bodies. God is casting out demons, he's healing the sick, and he is liberating people from evil spirits and lies that hold them captive. He desires to restore and touch with his love and kingdom power 
every aspect of who people are. He also recognizes the urgency of these harassed and helpless sheep. And he invites his disciples not to be better or to work harder, but to pray for more workers for the harvest. Jesus urges his disciples to pray for more people to be sent. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The phrase to send, we'll see on the next slide, is actually the Greek word ekbalo, which is normally used in verses about casting out demons. So it's this really powerful word about casting out, driving out, sending out, thrusting out. So it almost even has like a violent connotation. So Jesus is saying he wants his disciples to pray for people to be cast out into his abundant harvest and the breathtaking realm of the kingdom of God. Like Jesus, we are a sent people. We're not, we discovered this year, limited to a church building, but we're invited to go out and proclaim God's kingdom, representing Jesus in word and deed. And according to the Great Commission at the very end of Matthew, all of Jesus' disciples. So if you here today call yourself a disciple, we are all qualified and empowered and given the authority to go out and make disciples of all nations, to do the same work that Jesus did. This could be a word for me and for any of us who have gotten a little too comfortable with the normal trappings of church. Though they're so wonderful, it's so great to be together with you all um, in the building. But this verse can help give us an extra Holy Spirit push to get out there and to participate in God's kingdom that is at hand and unfolding as I'm speaking up here right now. So how has God invited you and me and us to go out, to be cast out, to be expelled into the kingdom in new ways this past season? Maybe even in some uncomfortable ways. Maybe some of us have been forced, I know I have, to learn new technology that we never thought we'd be using in order to connect safely with and disciple others. I think of Lori and Yuda, who they know way more than me now, but they allowed God to thrust them onto Zoom and to use these really special cameras so they could teach an abstract painting class on Zoom and an intricate card making class on Zoom, and somehow they figured out all the technology and made it work. Um, so if they had the courage to figure that out, then we, there's no excuse for the rest of us. So they allowed God to thrust them into something uncomfortable, out of their comfort zone, because they had a heart like Jesus. They wanted kids to know God's heart for them, and they wanted to share the good news of God's kingdom, whatever form it might take. I also think of the food distribution that started this year as a way to go out and to bless our neighbors during this really hard season of the pandemic. I think of Glenn and of Gary and of all those who have faithfully showed up and Patricia and Michael almost at every food distribution ready to serve in whatever ways are needed. I think of Sharon and Daryl who go out there to pray over and bless and proclaim God's peace and kingdom to people lining up in the parking lot who they've never met and who often speak a different language. So they've learned to express the kingdom through just a hug or a sign of love, um, they've been creative. And then I also think of Sandra, Noelani, and Ashley, who are very new to church, 
Yet they're already allowing Jesus' heart for lost and harassed sheep to spur them on to love and good deeds. And it's so inspiring, Ashley. So thank you for being you. For me, this ekbalo, this sending out, happens sometimes when I'm here at the office. I'm working on admin stuff and, you know, just figuring out all the details, which of course is important. But sometimes God has to force me and send me out outside. And literally, when I just step out the door of our campus, there's like a billion ways God invites me to join his kingdom, whether that's giving snacks to all the skaters that hang out every day at our campus, or um, giving food or a shower to those experiencing homelessness, or just meeting our neighbors and getting to know them. When I let God get me out of my comfort zone, when I let God get me out of the building, um, often amazing and beautiful things can happen. So how is God sending us out? How is he thrusting us into the kingdom of God in new or familiar ways in this season? Will I trust him? Will we trust him even when it's uncomfortable? Will we be spurred on by his deep heart of compassion for the harassed and helpless sheep? Will we be expectant that God will be faithful to us in the midst of the harvest and all of the needs that await us? This next point is good news for us after that question. So not only does this text remind us that God is sending us out into his harvest to embody and proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, we can also learn a lot from who exactly God calls, who his teammates are for his kingdom mission. His roster, who he sends out, is very revealing, especially for us people who might think, I don't think Jesus would want me for his team. Once we reflect more on this roster, I promise you might think again. So Jesus's first man on his lineup is Peter. He's not quite the MVP starter you would imagine. He ends up going on to deny Jesus, not one, not two, but three times. And although, like me, he's very earnest, he often misses what Jesus is about. And what Jesus' kingdom is about. Jesus even calls him Satan at one point. Yet, Jesus gives him the same authority to heal and to deliver like he gives the other disciples. And he says that Peter will be the rock of his church. This can be comforting for those of us who might sometimes miss out on what Jesus is doing or because we're so busy with our own things, our own agendas, we can miss out on God's kingdom invitations. We have a companion in Peter, and Jesus is notorious for being a friend of sinners like us, inviting us into repentance and calling us to be a part of his kingdom work, no matter if we're a Christian, we've been a Christian our whole lives, or we started today. God calls us all. God has a place for all of us. We also see on Jesus' roster Matthew the tax collector. So he would have been hated in his day and seen as a traitor to his own people because he collected taxes for the Roman Empire and probably was pretty exploitative towards his fellow people. And right after, or a little bit after his name, we see Simon the Zealot. And he would have been a part of the anti-Roman revolutionary imperialist movement. So we have pro-Rome and anti-Rome all in the same team huddle. 
It would be like Jesus calling the most extreme Republican and the most extreme Democrat and inviting them to work together. Somehow, Jesus is able to help them overcome the most entrenched barriers and invites both Matthew and Simon to a higher mission, the mission of healing and liberation in God's kingdom coming from heaven. This year, although sometimes maybe better than others, we've seen the power of God to bring people together across seemingly impossible barriers. Pastor John has reminded us Sunday after Sunday that we are called to rise above our increasingly polarized and hostile culture. John even challenges us to go so far as to see not only the humanity and dignity of those who we so disagree with, but to also trust that they love God too. So we've been pushed to our limits in expanding our muscles of loving our enemies. And this year has revealed the great fissures and divides in our society. But remembering Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, and that God called both of them and that they were working together gives me hope for our time. I wonder one day if I get to talk with Matthew or Simon, I wanna ask them, hey, did you guys ever become close friends? I wonder if when they're on the road with Jesus facing persecution and seeing the power of God's great kingdom, if their differences don't seem so big anymore, if they realize how much they need each other to let God's kingdom come. If you're still not convinced that Jesus wants you on his team, or that he has a place for you, or that you're qualified. Remember that the rest of the disciples were common working class fishermen. They had no education, just a willingness to leave stuff and to follow Jesus around wherever he went. Lastly, we can't forget the final of the 12 listed, Judas of Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus to his death. With God's kingdom, we have a choice to receive it, to be people of peace, or to reject it. And Judas rejected the wondrous, glorious kingdom and held on instead to greed and control. If I were to give the disciples a team name, it would probably be the Motley Crew or the Misfit Toys. But remarkably, these are the very people that Jesus launches out to proclaim and embody his kingdom. Their lives and their witness and their obedience ultimately lead to all of you and me standing here this morning talking about God's kingdom that has never ended. It's pretty wild. (laughs) The last point I want to draw our attention to this morning is how Jesus's very specific instructions set his disciples up for utter reliance on God's power and on other people. So the way he sends them out, there's no way they can do it without this outside power and authority that comes from God. It is a heavenly power that can't be taken or managed or regulated or controlled by the scribes and Pharisees or Roman imperial forces. It is a power from God. So they didn't have to be afraid that others would take it away. Jesus sends out his disciples with surprising and specific instructions that we see here. Instead of gaining new converts by having the coolest 
programs or violence or charm or good branding or money or power or influence, which I would expect that's how Jesus would send people out. That seems like a good idea. Instead, they're sent out vulnerably with few resources. They're not to accept payment or take any material resources with them, including gold, silver, or copper, no bag, and no more than one tunic, sandals, or staff. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to feel so vulnerable, to go out so humbly? Like I've said, Jesus was setting them up in a way that forced them to be reliant on God's power and the hospitality of others. How has this year forced us to come to grips with our own powerlessness and helplessness? Stripped of the things we normally rely on and can control, a lot of us, I know I have, been invited to trust God in deeper ways and to rely on God's power coming from heaven to get me through. And so I'm not advocating for total passivity but I'm not advocating for total self-reliance either. Instead, in God's kingdom, we are called to be humble like children. We are called to ask God for his power and his gifts, trusting that he wants to give them to us. We are called to approach God and his kingdom in awe and in wonder, expecting that he will move in powerful ways and that his goodness is for you and for me and for everyone, and that this heart of Jesus it's still alive today, and this heart wants to use us to reach out to the corners of the world. One of my favorite quotes that I just learned this year um, is a quote by Richard Foster, and it's very short, but it says, the kingdom of God is not in danger. And it's just so comforting to me because it reminds me that I can't fix the kingdom of God, though I try. <laughs> I can't control it. I can't make it happen. I can't muster it up with my own strength. But I can receive it, and I can rely on God for it, and I can ask God for more workers in the harvest. I can ask God to open my eyes to glimpses of his kingdom in my midst. So I know I like to talk big picture, um, but you might be wondering, okay, great, Michelle, but what are some concrete ways for us to rely on God's kingdom power in our daily lives? Great question. It could be something as simple as waking up in the morning and asking God who he wants you to reach out to today. So just asking God, God, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to call? And just listen and see if God brings a name or a person to mind and see what happens, see what God does. Maybe if you take a Sabbath, you could take a whole morning and just kind of go around like the disciples. <laughs> it might be weird, but why not try with God and just be like, God, where do you want me to go? Maybe you could go to your favorite coffee shop and just be open to having conversations with people there. You could be open to maybe calling someone you don't like as much, maybe being open to learning from them. I also think of Dave Dubrowski, who is now um, an awesome part of our church. And so he has a little Trader Joe's ministry, and we lit, we're neighbors, so we go to the same Trader Joe's, so I see him there all the time. But so at the threshold to Trader Joe's, 
he stops and he prays and he asks God, God, who do you want me to encounter today? Use me in your kingdom today. And then he walks into Trader Joe's and expects God to move and to work through him and to receive God's love and blessing from other people as well. So we literally run into each other all the time and he's always talking with people and he has a little prayer notebook where he writes down their names and prays for them. Um, and they've blessed him too. So when he was in the hospital, um, the Trader Joe's staff came and visited him and supported him. Um, so it was a very mutual kingdom of God going back and forth. Because we, as Christians, we don't. God is always in the work of restoring all of us. So we don't have all the answers. As we've seen, we've got to be reliant on other people too and always be curious, who might God want to show me the kingdom through? So although the pandemic has been devastating in so many ways, God has also used it to remind us that number one, we are a sent people called to go, to go out, to be thrust out into the world, to care for lost and harassed sheep. God has reminded us that his kingdom mission is better than any earthly mission. And ultimately, this pandemic has brought us to our knees, reminding us that we are powerless and helpless and utterly, utterly reliant on God's power coming from heaven. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And feel free to join in or feel free to just pray to God on your own, whatever you feel God prompting you to do. So I invite you to settle in your chair and close your eyes. Um, and we'll pray and reflect together. God, we thank you that as John prayed earlier, nothing can come, not even the gates of Hades can come against your church and your kingdom. And God, we thank you that you graciously give us your kingdom power to heal us holistically, to liberate us, God. You want to heal our bodies and our spirits and our emotions and our minds. You want us to be whole, God. So we invite your wholeness into our lives. We invite your peace to reign in our bodies and in our minds as it is in heaven. And Jesus, we thank you that no matter who we are or what our background is or whether we fit in or not, God, that you have a special place for us in your kingdom. You want to expel us out into the harvest field, God. You have special work for us to do. So would you give us courage to go forth into your harvest, God? Would you show us what that harvest is? Would you bring to mind right now or a word or a phrase or something you want us to remember? God, finally you say that the only way to enter your kingdom is through becoming like a little child. So we don't have to act childish, God, but children teach us how to just accept who we are and where we're at, to be humble and to ask for what we need, God. So we ask for your power and your grace and your mercy and your courage and your strength to actually live into your kingdom, God, in a world that is so against 
the ways of Jesus, God, the ways of peace and of love and of loving our enemies, the ways of forgiveness and hope and goodness. God, right now we ask that your power would come upon us, Lord. It would fill us. Power to heal, power to speak truth, power to silence lies, power to forgive, power to love our enemies, power to love ourselves and our neighbors, power to wake up in the morning, God, and trust you in the little things and the big things. Thank you, God, that your kingdom used small and ordinary people to do incredible things, God, that you work in smallness, in a little seed, in a little yeast, God, that you use to expand and leaven the whole dough. So would you use our humble offerings, God, as we just come to you where we are? And would you do beyond what we could ask or imagine in our lives, in the life of Living Spring, and in the life of the church, God? We trust you and we love you, and it's in your powerful and kind name that we pray. Amen. So I invite you all to stand, and if you're online, feel free to stand as well. And this is the time of the blessing. So also hold out your hands in a posture of receipt. So in the name of God the Father, who generously pours out his heavenly power upon his disciples, and in the name of his son Jesus, who models a true kingdom life of healing and liberation, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who gifts us and empowers us to do greater things than Jesus did. Let's go forth into the world as a sent church, reliant on God's power and confident that God is calling us into his abundant harvest, no matter who we are. Go in peace, Living Spring, and have a great week. Amen.